Good morning. Welcome to Skyline. Great to see all of you. Uh, great to see that we're, we're practicing scooting into the middle so that we can all, all fit in. Uh, we've been working on becoming great lovers. Uh, we all love the moment at which we realize, wow, love is worth it. Like connecting with someone else, intimacy with somebody else is, is worth it. Uh, those times when you, you look at each other and you're like, you know what? The only two people in the world are you and me. And that's, that's all I need. Whenever there's a, a movie, the, the movie, what happens is that it builds all this tension and there's all this conflict and there's this trouble, but, but they keep fighting for love. They keep fighting for the other person. And, and at some point in the movie, they, they show it. They look at each other. You realize it. That's the moment that you cry in the movie. And you're like, yeah, that's what life's about. But... Uh, as we've all experienced, there's differences of opinion. There's, there's things we call uh, disagreements that often turn into conflicts. And those can overwhelm our relationships. They can be what, what destroys what we were after in the first place. So one of those areas of life that's potential for us is uh, with my wife and I, which, by the way, Everybody who ever gets to know my wife, they just love her. She's just, a, she's just an amazing person. She's so giving. She's very passionate. She has strong opinions about things, but you, you just know that she, is, she just loves you. She loves people. And so as I talk about this, just know she's, she's an incredible person. But there's this one area of life that uh, causes great disagreement for us, and that's that she's also the most amazing, terrific Backseat driver. She is excellent at it. She's really, really good at it. And uh, it started when we very first, very first even started dating. And I grew up in, uh, in the country, and I like to drive right down the middle of the yellow line. Uh, you can see forever, and uh, so it's safer that way. Deer running out, whatever. you got more time to react, um, and it, it scares her to death. And so she'd be like, you can't do that. Get over, get over. So, of course, what do I do? I drive all, over the, all the way over to the white line on the side and drive right like that, right on the white line. I'm going to prove to her. I'm going to force her to realize, no, what, my way is better. Well, that uh, doesn't help, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going we're to work through, wait a minute, how do, you, how do you interact with that? How do you love in those situations? And so we've been working on the... The power of the circle, the fact that there's a circle that you can live in. And within this circle, you have control of your attitude, you have control of what you do, you have control of what you feel, although many of you may still think that the other person makes you feel a certain way. It's not true. You, you actually have control of those things. And so that means there's incredible hope. You can become a great lover. Why? Because it has to do with what happens inside of that circle. It doesn't happen to do. A great lover is not defined by what happens between the two circles first. It's, designed, it's defined by how that person is able to love the other person from inside their circle. And so uh, we've been working through 1 Corinthians 13. So let's pick that up. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. We picked that up at the, one of our first messages. Wow, how do you define love? Well, it's based on the truth, and you, you want to seek out what God says about love, not necessarily what you feel or think about love. 
Then it says this, it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and always perseveres. That's the section that we're going to talk about today. So what's the mission of a great lover? The mission of a great lover is to keep my promise to Jesus and myself to do what is best for the other person. Did you pick that up? The promise is between Jesus and myself. It's called a covenant, not a contract. A contract is when I make a, a promise to the other person based on the promise that they make back, up, back to us. I will love you as long as you love me. But a covenant is a promise I make to myself. See, inside that circle, I can keep that covenant regardless of what the other person does. As defined by the Bible, no matter what it costs me. Now, it's natural in our relationships. It's natural to go toward the covenant. It takes a decision. It takes a change of life. It takes a change of mind. It takes a, uh, a change in attitude to say, no, I'm going to do it by a covenant. It's also supernatural that whenever there are disagreements, that we become competitive. Talked about this a little bit last week. Like, hey, man, I'm so hungry. What? You're hungry? I haven't even eaten. We, we compare. We look at the world as though it's this giant comparison between me and the person that I love. And disagreements bring these to the surface right away. They make them show up right away. So we have disagreements about, about cleaning. And, and as soon as that happens, there's a competition. And we really, really sense this feeling that I must win. I mean, I'm right. This is an important issue. I must win, and so you must lose. No bigger area do you have disagreements than raising your children. They give an opportunity to have huge disagreements on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, vacations, money, oh my goodness, money. You, you have dock-down, drag-out fights, and because money is so important, and because it's your future, and because it's so important, you must win, and they must lose. Now, what you may not notice in, in, in all of this is that you really have this strategy. You, you didn't necessarily think up the strategy. It came to you naturally. You have a strategy. The way that I am going to get the other person to love me, the way that I'm going to get the other person to live with me, and we're going to create this incredible uh, intimacy and oneness and love, the way we're going to do it is I am going to crush them. Like, oh, that's too strong. I don't think it is. I am going to defeat them. I am going to show them how guilty they are. I am going to show them how wrong they are. I'm going to use my arguments. I'm going to use my words. I'm going to use my expressions. I'm going to use my size. I'm going to use everything I have to put them in a position where they are below me. And they go, you know what? You are so right. I am so wrong. I'm such a jerk. I'm so terrible. And then from that position, they're going to love you. Again, lots of areas of disagreement, sure. Sex, oh my goodness. It, it just it brings up all of these natural, high passion. And these conflicts turn into all-out wars. And some of you say, well, that's not true for us. Yeah, we don't do that anymore. We used to fight when we were younger, but we, we don't fight anymore. Yeah, well, maybe that's because the passion has gone out of your life. 
And that's not because you're older or you've been together for a long time. The passion has gone out of your life because one of you or both of you has given up. You've just given up. And so you, you just say, okay, all right, whatever, okay, all right. You don't fight for it anymore. You've just given up. And so you live together undivorced. But you're not great lovers. You're just complacent partners. And so we don't want that to be the case. We want you to be great lovers. So what does that mean? That means I'm going to stop fighting their flesh. What's their flesh? Well, the flesh is our natural way of interacting with life. We naturally interact with life. That It's me first, and I'm going to make plans. I'm going to try to do the best I can but we always look out for me first, and the flesh reacts to life and acts like it cannot help it. It's full of feelings, it's full of ideas, but in the end, flesh is, this is who I think I am, and it's my pride, it's my ability to, uh, to win at these arguments. And so when we do this great competition, we do this great battle, what are we doing? We're actually fighting their flesh. We are going to destroy their flesh. We're going to wrestle their flesh to the ground. And then they're going to stand up and love us and get to know us and see us for who we are. And That's our plan. It obviously doesn't work. It obviously creates great tension, division, and loneliness. But it's our strategy. It's our natural go-to, first go-to step. No, love means I stop fighting the flesh. I'm done doing that. And I start fighting for their spirit. What's their spirit? Well, their spirit is how they connect to God. Their spirit is who they really are in their heart of hearts. The spirit is the place that we pray from. Spirit is the place that we confess from and repent from. Spirit is the place that we truly actually connect. When two spirits connect, it's the most amazing experience in life. It's actually what heaven is, is it's when we are in the spirit and able to connect fully open and free and be exactly who we are. It's a beautiful thing. And so love is, I'm done that. I'm done fighting for the flesh, and I am going to fight for their spirit. So how, how, do, how do we do that? Well, let's jump into what the Bible has to say here. The love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, mentions four specific attributes of love that are always put into action. See, some of the other, other ones aren't needed all the time. So there are times when you need to be patient. There's times when you need to be kind. There's times when you, you, you make sure, hey, don't puff up. Don't boast, right? Oh, well, you, you, you tend to want to do that. Don't do that. You don't need to do that. Don't uh, uh, put the other person down, okay? It keeps no records of wrongs, okay? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that, okay? There's things I'm going to do and things I'm not going to do. And then there's things that are always on. He uses that word. He, he puts it in a different way to make this clear, okay? It's like a checklist, if you want to be a great lover, then these always are in place. If you want to make a decision about how I'm going to fight for their spirit, then, okay, the way I fight for their spirit is I have, okay, always, and you work through this list. And it starts with this. The first of these is that love always protects or bear, love bears all things. It, it protects. God's type of love protects. That is, it watches over it watches out for others. It withstands difficulty. 
If there is a shortcoming or a fault in that loved one, love has the ability to cover it. Love is not based on selfish desire or even mutual benefit. Rather, it seeks the benefit of the other person. Love aims to give rather than receive. The opposite of love is to attack. In other words, it's like this great covering that you put over this person's spirit. You're like, you know what? I am going to protect that spirit. I don't want anybody to be able to hurt that spirit. I want that spirit to be able to grow and thrive. I'm going to protect them. I will withstand the dangers from the outside. I will protect them. So right now I want you to close your eyes. It's always funny whenever I ask you to close your eyes, about half of you do it and the other... Keep your eyes open like I'm going to uh, sneak up behind you and pinch you or something. Just, just, yeah, yeah, just close your eyes. All right. Now, especially men, imagine this. You drive up to your house and there's a foreign car, um, a car you're not used to, parked outside. And say, so, huh, I wonder what's going on. You walk inside and uh, there is a man and your wife is uh, sitting on a chair in front of him and, and your kids are sitting around him. And he is berating your wife. He is calling her the F word. He is calling her the B word. He is using really bad language in front of her. And he's, he's communicating how irresponsible she is and how unloving she is. And, 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 and she, he, he, it's unbelievable. He is tearing her apart. What would you do? What would any decent man do in that situation? You're right. He'd walk up to the back of that guy, grab him by the back of the collar, pull him down, and beat the living daylights out of him. He would protect his wife. But for many of us, when you pull that man down, you look in his face. You're looking in the mirror. It's you. Why in the world would you be so intent on protecting her physically, or protecting her from somebody else, but you're the one who attacks her spirit. And how do you do it? You do it by trying to destroy her flesh, by going to war with her flesh. When I was a kid, I had a really cool experience with this. I only look at it back as cool now. Back then, it wasn't cool at all. And uh, it has to do with the word piss. I only use the word piss when I use this illustration. I never, ever, ever, ever use that word at any other time. And uh, in my house, in my bedroom, uh, was bunk beds. And then there was a hallway that you got in the hallway. If you went straight across from my bedroom, there's a bathroom on the other side. And so I'm sitting in my, uh, in my, on my bed, and uh, I'm talking with my mom, but I, I'm not, I'm not. Or maybe I'm talking to my brother. I can't remember exactly, but I know my mom was in the room. And I mouthed off about something, and I used the word piss. And out of nowhere, I mean nowhere, was this giant hand. And in a second, I was across the hallway, into that bathroom, on my knees, going, No, Dad, no, please, please, no, no. Now, my dad did not abuse me ever, not, not ever did my dad abuse me, but he impressed me, and I'm telling you, to this day, I don't use that word, because I fear that big hand will come down out of heaven and grab me. Why? Why? Because you don't say that word in my mom's presence. 
Why? Because my dad was good, protected my mom. He protected her spirit. Second word is to trust. God's type of love, trust, gives the benefit of the doubt. Did you hear that? Gives the benefit of the doubt. Already believes the best, but most of all, trust God. What God is doing in this person, what God says about this person, what God says about their spirit, it's the opposite, or the opposite is to condemn. You see, when you fight the flesh, it's all about condemnation. You judge their motives. You label them irresponsible, manipulative, control freak. You're constantly judging their motives, and this is why they did that. I wonder why they did that. You're, you're constantly, they constantly have to answer to you as the authority. You're like, no, no, oh yeah, you do it all the time. It's how you fight in the flesh. I had a daughter, as uh, many of you have children, you've watched this experience, but mine was, my daughter was to the extreme. Her name's Alicia. And, and so she was the kindest, most beautiful person in the world. She had this huge heart for people. And she saw somebody, somebody hurting or she saw somebody uh, in in distress, she's like, we got to do something about that, Dad. And she would do something about that. And so she had those flashes in her life. But she also was the meanest sister. <laughs> it's unbelievable sometimes the things she would say and do. And she was dead set that no one was going to tell her what to do. No one. And so... It didn't matter how much the pain was going to be. She was going to fight you. And she would push buttons and she could make you so mad. But you see, I knew what God said about her. And so when I disciplined her, I could, I could look at her and go, listen, look, Alicia, I want you to know something. You're everything I ever dreamed you'd be. I love you so much. You are everything I ever dreamed you'd be. I know you are. Why? Because I know that's who she really is. I'm speaking to her spirit. Now, sin hurts, and what you've done is going to hurt. So here's the consequences of what you've done. But I'm going to fight for your spirit. That's what it means to trust. Love hopes. Always hopes. Hope in the Bible is built on God's promise. Part of showing love is hoping, and part of hoping is seeing the potential of others. As uh, Goethe uh, said, that's German. Somebody told me that's German. I have no idea how to pronounce it. I, I tried. Um, if we treat people as they ought to be, we help them become what they are capable of becoming. In love, we can always be hopeful and show confidence in others. In other words, hope is, wait a minute, I see what God has promised. I see the promise in this person. I see what God is trying to do in this person and what God's promised that he will do in this person. That's how I'm going to interact with them. That's what I'm going to fight for. I want them to see it as well. You see, hope is what empowers us to discipline with truth and grace. God disciplines us because he knows of what we can become. And so when you set a standard... And you hold that kid to that standard and he's whining and he's crying and I can't do that. This is too hard. And, and you go, oh, no, no, I know you can do this. I know you can do this. Not fighting the flesh, not yelling and screaming. I've got to make him do this. No, 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 no. I know you can do this. Why? Because I always hope for you. 
Lori, uh, my wife, she practices this with your kids. She has incredible hope for your kids. And so she set the standard. This is how you have to say the verse, and you have to say it well every time. And you can only say it, you can't miss maybe, but I think it's one word. And if they don't do it, she doesn't go, oh, that's too bad. I know you got problems here and you got problems there. I know you get... No, she goes, you go back and work on it. And I know you can do it. The reason she is so tough and so loving at the same time is because she always hopes. When you set a standard for your kids and then it gets hard and you lower the standard, it's not because you love them. It's not because you're understanding. It's not even because you're compassionate. It's because you have no hope. You don't understand the promise that's in that child. The last one is that love perseveres. The Greek word hupomene carries the idea of remaining or enduring. Love doesn't quit or give up. Love lasts. The love spoken of in 1 Corinthians 13 is not a fleeting romance or a fading feeling. Instead, godly love always perseveres during good times and bad. The love of God's people endures the challenges of life and remains steadfast. I want you to listen to uh, this, this man who, with him and his son, it, what he did is exactly what it means that love always perseveres. The doctor said, forget Rick. Put him away, put him in an institution. He's going to be nothing but a vegetable for the rest of his life. We cried a little bit. We talked, and we said, no, we're not going to put Rick away. We're going to bring Rick home and bring him up like any other child. We knew Rick was smart. We could tell by looking in his eyes. And when we talked to him, we, you know, he was paying attention to what we were saying. So we wanted to get a computer built so Rick could communicate with us. Everybody came to our house that night for Rick to say his first words. And everybody was betting, you know, what is the first words Rick is ever going to say? His mom's saying, it's going to be, hi, mom. And me, the dad, saying, oh, it's going to be, hi, dad. Boston Bruins were going for the Stanley Cup, and the very first words Rick ever said was, go Bruins. Dick is a military man, so he knows a thing or two about commitment. This time, he's just months removed from a heart attack. This gift that he gives to his son, or is it the other way around? Either way, it all started when Rick heard about a charity run for a paralyzed athlete. He asked Dad, and Dad said yes. the runners and everybody thought that Rick and I would just go to the corner and turn around and come back. Well we didn't. We finished the whole five miles coming in next to last but not last. And when we got home that night Rick wrote on his computer, Dad when I'm running it feels like my disability disappears. So that was a very powerful message to me that we finally found a sport that Rick could get involved in just like everybody else. is my motivator, he inspires me. To me, he's the one out there competing and I'm just loaning him my arms and my legs so that he can compete. There's just something that gets into me 
when I'm out there competing with Rick that I can't explain it, and we're able to go faster. And it, it's just an unbelievable feeling. Rick and I love the Ironman triathlon, to be out there competing with the best triathletes in the world, to be accepted to compete along with these triathletes. Just to be out there on that pier with all the other triathletes and then waiting in the water for that cannon to go off, it, it was just so exciting. The feeling coming down the finish line at Aliki Drive, it, it's just an awesome experience. With the crowd there, all the excitement, the noise, and the announcers announcing all that, the adrenaline just gets flowing. graduated from public high school. He's graduated from college. He's out there competing in road races and triathlons. He lives a happier life probably than 95% of the population. Rick would tell you that, uh, you know, if he, if he was physically able to do something, that he'd probably play basketball or football or hockey. But then he always says, no, the first thing he'd do is sit down and have me sit down in his wheelchair and he'd push me. You know, it really makes me feel good that, uh, that, you know, he appreciates, you know, what I'm trying to do to help him out, and he'd do the same thing for me. Our message is, yes, you can. You can do anything you want to do, as long as you make up your mind, you can do it. If you have ever searched for the meaning of life, stop answer lies right here. By the way, Ricky would want us to tell you the Bruins look pretty good this year. So how many times do you think they wanted to quit? How many times do you think they felt like, I can't do this, this is too hard? And uh, when their child was born, when uh, they first realized what his diagnosis was and what the future was like and then as they helped to raise him and all the things that you would run into along the way and then they talk about these triathlons not just marathons triathlons just huge huge sacrifice but why didn't he quit well what do you think they saw you think they saw his flesh or his spirit? Did you catch that? They said, we looked in his eyes. That means they looked in his soul, his spirit. And so when it came time to always protect, you think they looked in his flesh or his spirit? When it came to them to trust, flesh or spirit? Came time for hope, flesh or spirit? Came time to persevere, his flesh or his spirit. That's right. They didn't fight 
with his flesh. They fought for his spirit. And so when we do that, and it comes time to protect, I don't need to defend myself. How come? Because Jesus is going to protect me. And Jesus always protects. When it comes time to trust, I can trust that God is at work in their life. I can always trust. Why? Because I know that God is always at work in their life. I don't need to go to war with their flesh. I can fight for their spirit. It always hopes. You see, God is responsible for this relationship. I'm responsible to follow Jesus. The reason why I can always hope is because my faith is in God's promise of what he's going to do in my life, inside my circle, and what he is going to do inside of their circle. God's responsible for the relationship, not me. I'm just responsible to follow God. It always perseveres. I don't have to quit. I can keep going. I will not quit. Why? Because Jesus has never quit on me. And he never will. What are you going to do about this? What are you going to do with it? You say, well, well, how do I do it? How do I put this into place? Well, it's like everything else when you build your life on grace. You do it by believing Jesus. You do it by taking Jesus at his word and living based on what Jesus has said to you. And what Jesus said to you is, I'll defend you. I'll work in your life. I will turn you into a great lover. And I'll never quit. But you've got to make a decision. You've got to change an attitude. You've got to change almost entirely the way that you interact with the people around you. You've got to stop fighting the flesh. Would you commit today, Jesus, I don't want to fight people's flesh anymore. I know it's natural. I know, I know I'll jump to that place. But Jesus, please show me when I do that. I don't want to do that anymore. How do you do that? You do that by not by focusing on their spirit, by seeing their spirit. And so Jesus, I need you to help me. I need you to come inside my circle. Jesus, I want to get inside your circle. I want to live and trust you and live from your strength and your way of looking at the world. And, and I just want to see their spirit. I want to fight for their spirit. Would you identify the people that you want to love? And would you pray with me that from this day forward, you are done fighting the flesh. You are going to fight for their spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to start with me. I want to ask you to help me and every person that I interact with. God, help me to look when I see them. Help me to see their spirit. And Jesus, I want to fight for their spirit. So, Lord, I want to make a plea to you. I want to trust you for something. That you always fight for my spirit. And you always see my spirit. And so, Lord, I always want to turn to you. I want to talk to you, not them. And when I turn for that, to them, I want to fight for their spirit not against their flesh. Jesus, do what you, whatever you have to do in my life for that to happen.
In your name we pray. Amen.